real joy to be here, as I said. James mentioned last week that he, uh, he was doing the first part in a two-part series on generosity, and, uh, and I am firing up in, in his wind. <laughs> in his wake. That's it. That's it. I'm dyslexic. I often get my phrases all mixed up, so do forgive me if I say things a little bit wrong. I said another great one the other day. What was it? It was a really funny one. Someone corrected me. I'll remember it later when, it, when it's not important and have a cup of tea. Um, so, yes, so let's, let's have a go. Uh, about 12 years ago, some of you will, well, you weren't, we weren't here 12 years ago, but James and I, some of you will know, we came to Cardiff to plant this church, which has got lots of young people in it. Uh, this church about 12 years, well, 11 years ago, but in our training to come and plant the church, you'll be pleased to know we did have some training. Uh, we had a number of sessions where they told us, you know, these are really useful principles, these are some important things to put in place. And there was a couple of things that they mentioned to us that we just hadn't ever thought about before. It wasn't something that we considered. or um, and, and actually some things we were surprised about. And one of those things was a warning by one of the guys doing the session of a warning, that, a warning of not to avoid speaking about money about giving, um, because apparently this is an all-too-often mistake made by church leaders, church planters, who avoid money or talking about the subject of money and generosity, because it is a delicate subject, isn't it? You know, you mention money and all sorts of emotions just spring up in the room, different emotions. And pastors avoid talking about it uh, because they don't want to come across as money-grabbing or maybe judgmental or, um, or even desperate, which can come across. Um, and as a result, that church, that particular church, misses out on being taught on a foundationally important subject in terms of our discipleship. And I think that without this warning that we've been given, James and I would have probably fallen into the, tra- into the trap of avoiding talking on the subject of money, uh, probably for the first two years at least, if not longer. Um, and so, you know, this hasn't been an easy thing for James to do. James, for the last t- 11 years has obediently taught about money, taught the Bible on what the Bible has to say about money and generosity and giving. Um, And that hasn't always been an easy thing for him. Uh, He doesn't find it that easy, just being honest with you. I, on the other hand, probably wouldn't, I don't find it as difficult to talk about this subject. And I'm not saying that in any way to put James down. Um, I'm saying that because actually, I think there's quite a few similarities to the job that I do um, in the week. So some of, of you will know that I'm a GP. I'm not employed by the church. I do lots of stuff in the church, but I'm not employed by the church. My day job, as it, as it were, as it is, um, is a doctor. And part of, well, one of the most important things that I do as a doctor is to regularly address lifestyle issues with my patients um, because um, it's so key and so foundational to long-term health of, um, of people, isn't it? We all know that. You know, stopping smoking, eating healthily, exercising regularly, keeping alcohol into, in, within safe limits. Now, as a GP, I could avoid talking about this because it isn't always that easy. It isn't always that easy to address these things, and I have to do it very carefully in some circumstances. Um, but if I didn't address lifestyle factors... Um, some would argue that I would be failing to do my job properly as a doctor. 
so foundational is a healthy lifestyle to long-term physical and emotional well-being. We know more and more evidence coming out about not only the physical impact of living a healthy lifestyle, but also the emotional impact of that as well. Um, but more to the point, I want my patients to be healthy. I want them to make good choices for their life that will ultimately make their lives better. I, and I do believe that. Um, and so in the same way is the biblical subject of generosity and specifically financially giving. Just what, going back to what I said earlier about pastors often avoiding talking about the subject of money, um, if it wasn't so key to our discipleship, the Bible does mention money a heck of a lot, doesn't it? I mean, you, you can't really, it's like the poor. You know, you can't read the Bible very long without the subject of generosity and looking after the poor coming up over and over again. And did you know as well, here's an interesting fact, Jesus mentions the subject of money more than any other subject consistently other than the kingdom of God when he was here recorded in the Gospels. Isn't that interesting? He knew how important generosity was to discipleship. And as he was building his future church on those disciples, them having a healthy, biblical, godly attitude to money was clearly of utmost importance to him. So, and I do not apologise in any way for this, this talk is jam-packed full of scripture. There could have been so much more. Uh, it could have been a whole, probably a whole season, a whole season of looking at this, but we're just, uh, this is the second week. In fact, we've never done a two-parter before, have we? Oh, have we? Oh. I might not have been there. <laughs> Sometimes I just think I can't be bothered. No, it's not true. It's not true. I always love to come. Uh, so, uh, yes, yeah, so the Bible is very clear, as I said, on giving, and it needs to be, because generally we humans are not very good at giving and generosity. Much in the same way, I guess, as eating healthily, there is a little bit of a war going on in our hearts about generosity, and more on that later. But ultimately, the way that James and I have been taught, the way that we understand the Bible's view on generosity and giving, is one of obedience and freedom. And it's probably one of the highest markers of a heart after Jesus that there is, and I do mean that. So James and I owe it to God, owe it to you to teach the Bible on generosity and giving because of how foundational it is to our growth as healthy, health, healthy, healthy and healthy and happy disciples of Jesus. So, some of you will know that we have a number of values. If you've ever looked on our website, you may have been here when we talked about some of the values that we have as a church. And one of those values is outrageous generosity. Now, I still remember the time that, as a staff team, we, we spent some time going, what are some of the, the, the sort of the, the values that we want to build this church and how would we want to be known as, how would we want to be defined, and actually, how, would we want to, how do we want to become? So they're aspirational values as much as sort of values that describe this community that we are part of. And, and I remember we were talking about generosity being a really important one of those values, and... And in that, and we were saying, well, how can we describe it? What is the word that we want to, to use to describe 
generosity. And I remember um, one of the, the ladies in the room going, it's outrageous. And, and I, th- I can remember just going, yes, that's it. Generosity that is so, so countercultural, so different from the whole world, that it is also almost outrageous. You can't but help notice it. And so outrageous generosity from that moment, you know, it just felt like it defined where we wanted to be as a church and how we wanted to shape this community in terms of generosity. So outrageous generosity is one of our values here as a church. Uh, and we have talked about this before. But what does outrageous generosity look, look like for us as a church? What does it look like for myself and James? And what does that look like for you? Well, outrageous generosity is birthed when we realise that God owns everything. And I'm here, you're here, to steward the resources that he has given you, or he has given us. It's not mine, it's his to be stewarded on his behalf. When we understand that, because it's such a principal biblical view of generosity, when we understand that, it changes everything. When we grasp this as individuals, when we grasp this as a whole community, it will enable us to become outrageously generous. It's not ours, it's his, to be stewarded. Acts 20 verse 35, Jesus is quoted as saying, There is more happiness in giving than receiving. Many of us know this, don't we? But we struggle to practice it. But if we can grasp the profound truth of this quote from Jesus, then giving becomes more of a natural part of life. Not just out of obedience to the scriptures, not just because we have a vision of the thing that we're doing to, not because there's a financial need, but a recognition that generosity, specifically towards God, is a beautiful thing. Why? Well, I am going to run through eight reasons. Yes, you've heard of the three-point sermon. It's an eight-point sermon. Buckle up. (laughs) So, giving and generosity gives us, number one, an opportunity to express God's nature. We are Christ's ambassadors here on this earth, aren't we? We represent him, and it's through us his church, his body here on this earth, that he chooses to express his generosity. Listen to this great quote. We're most like God when we're giving. Gaze upon Christ long enough and you'll become more of a giver. Give long enough and you'll become more like Christ. And they agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) Who can compete? God gives and gives and gives. It's part of his nature. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He gave that that was most precious. And if we want to reflect and represent God, we give. Number two. They're all quite short, apart from a couple. Number two. Giving gives us the opportunity to draw closer to God. And then he draws closer to us. The Bible says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 6, verse 21, and I think James one, I know James talked about this principle of the treasure last week in his talk. Essentially what this is saying is, about the treasure, is that the heart always goes to where we put God's money. In this verse, Jesus is telling us that our hearts follow our treasure. Jesus is saying that it's actually how we prioritize our expenditure 
uh, is a good indication. How we prioritise our expenditure is a good indication of what is most valuable to us. Now, have you ever looked at your bank account with that in mind? Yes. Some of you, there may be an overly high representation of takeaway coffee or dairy milk. Or is that just me? Um, here's a funny story. A number of years ago, when, when we first moved to Cardiff, actually, and I became self-employed for the first time, I was quite surprised about the horror of filling in tax return. I thought, how have I got to the age of 30? And I don't know how to do this. Um, and it has been horrible ever since. They are not fun. Sorry to any accountants in the room. But I, I happened to be sitting down, you know, within a couple of years of, of starting doing these um, tax returns with my accountant. And, and he, he sort of commented on the starting, startlingly high proportion of money that I spent on wine. And I thought, well, I do like a nice vintage. Until I realised that he was referring to my um, standing order to Cardiff Vineyard. <laughs> 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 I, think, I think he originally thought I was trying to cover up some sort of alcoholic tendency. <laughs> I was like, no, genuinely, it's a church. You can Google it, honestly. <laughs> um, but for me, there was this moment of real joy, of real intimacy with God and real joy, because I suddenly realised, wow, you know, my accounts, my, 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 uh, my statements, they, ref they do reflect generosity. And... And for me, there was a really wonderful moment because I remembered years ago when I, you know, relatively new Christian, and I went up for prayer, and I asked the lady who came to pray for me that I just wanted God to help me grow in generosity because it was something that I'd never found very easy. I've always been very careful with my money. I still am very careful, but I knew that there was something in my heart that was just holding back in terms of freedom and generosity. And so I'd gone up for prayer, just being like, do you know what, I can't do this in my own strength, and I need God's help to soften my heart and to grow me in this area. And, and so just fast-forwarding on, it was just this wonderful moment going, yes, Lord, you have helped me, and I am so pleased. And it did bring me such joy and intimacy with God in that moment. Where's your heart this morning? It's wherever your treasure is. If your treasure is invested in your home, your appearance, your business, your car, your family, there your heart is, where your treasure is, that's what Jesus is saying. Giving helps us draw closer to God as we align our hearts with his, as we choose to seek first his kingdom and for that to be our treasure. Number three, giving gives us an opportunity to bless and please God. Philippians verse, uh, sorry, Chapter 4, verse 18, the Apostle Paul is saying or reflecting on some of the financial gifts that have been given to him. And he says, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. When we sacrifice something that we could have bought, when we go without and give the money to him, which, let's be honest, is how we, most of us make giving to God's kingdom a possibility. We experience what Michael Green calls walking in the light of the Father's smile. Isn't that beautiful? He is blessed by our choice and pleased with us. And I briefly mentioned a little bit about that in my last point. Number four, an opportunity to gain freedom from materialism. 
This is such a biggie, isn't it? Our culture is so materialistic. No one can argue with that. The message the world gives us is do more, have more, acquire more, spend more, bigger, bigger, better, buy more. 1 John 2, 15 to 17 in the message version, this is John. It says this, I love it. Don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love of the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from him. The world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what the God wants is set for eternity. Again, it's that not what I want, but what you want principle, isn't it? Everywhere we look, every kind of advertising, you know, particularly at this time of year, tells us that happiness can be purchased. And why do they do that? Because it's true? No, of course not. We all know that you cannot buy happiness, but we are all also super gullible. The marketing is very clever and it taps into the underlying fact that the human heart longs to be happy searches out happiness and so it's a very difficult task in such a broken world isn't it and so by telling us everything that we want to hear that you know just if you buy this get this lifestyle have this thing um, we will we can get this happiness that we that our hearts certainly want and we will, like sheep, queue up with our credit cards or our little Apple watches brandished to partake of the lie. And what do they get? Our money, which is what they wanted all the time. Clever marketing works every time. So if getting this and that, getting more stuff, would make us more happy, then the people with the most stuff and the biggest homes would be the most happy. But that is not true, is it? The happiest people on earth are Christians who are free from the grip of materialism. None of us in the Western world are truly free. Materialism pervades our lives at every level, but its grip is released when we give. Every time we give, it breaks the more syndrome, which is says, I have to have more. It's the only known antidote to materialism. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6 verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now just to say, it's, it's not wrong to enjoy nice things. The Bible says it's okay to have a house. You know, take nice holidays if you want to, wear nice clothes, something that I'm always trying to tell James <laughs> and his mother as well. Even mentioned it yesterday. <laughs> Darling, those jeans. <laughs> so that is, that is for you, my love. <laughs> um, but he doesn't simply making, make us prosper to spend it all on ourselves. Going back to 1 Timothy Paul, it says in verse 18, command them to be generous and willing to share. 19, in this way, they will take hold of the life that is truly life. Deuteron Deuteronomy, I can't get that word out. 
Deuteronomy, I think it's the dyslexic brain coming out, it's too long, shorten it down, Deuter, in Deuter, it says, Deuteronomy. 14.23 in the Living Bible, it says this, the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. Now, I just want to share something with you in a second. Sometimes there are growth moments, aren't there, in our lives. Often discipleship and growth happens very gradual. You know, we sort of, we work on things, we pray on things, we gradually put new habits into place. But there are also times in our life where we have growth moments. You know, moments where we get shocked, almost surprised and challenged to our core. And it has a, almost like a direct U-turn in our life. Um, and I, I just want to share one of these moments that I believe was one of these moments for us as a church. A few years ago, we received uh, this letter that's going to come up through the offering, and I'm going to read it out. It says this. Dear Sir, Madam, we are asylum seekers, and I'm not sure how long we will remain in Cardiff. While we are here, we are being provided with accommodation as well as Tesco vouchers to buy food. And as we do not have any money... We're unable to pay our tithes and offerings in cash. Therefore, we would be grateful if you would receive our tithes and offerings in Tesco vouchers until we have money of our own. Sorry for any inconvenience. God bless. P.S. They work well at the tills. Now, I still remember how this affected us as a staff team. The lady who had been sorting out the offering from the previous day came into James's office just with tears streaming down her face just going look and she just said look I believe that this was a change moment in generosity for us as a church we've shared this before this won't be you know the first time some of you have heard this but this for us as a church was a change moment because in that moment those asylum seekers were showing us that giving is knowing where your hope is based in God and his kingdom. And that is why Satan hates giving and fights it so much. Do you know that there's a war in your hearts about generosity? <coughs> a battle over our money is a battle that God only wins rarely in the Christian world. And it's often the last battle that many Christians get round to winning. And until we do, we are bound by materialism and the false God that the Bible calls mammon. Number five. An opportunity to strengthen our faith. Why? Why does giving strengthen our faith? Because giving requires faith. We all know that, don't we? Giving tests our faith continually and giving strengthens it. Proverbs 3, it says, number f verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Verse 9, Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Not what was left over at the end of the month or at the end of each term, the first fruits. Now you might say, well, I'd really like to trust God with all my heart, but I don't understand how I can give a significant amount of money regularly. And I would say, honor the Lord, trust him and see what happens. I remember for me as a relatively new Christian um, I was a student and I heard, I was a, we were in Nottingham at the time, and I heard uh, the pastor of the church that we were in at the time talking about financial giving. And I literally never understood, I'd never heard this before. I was a completely new Christian. I was like, oh, that's new. Okay. 
But because I was new to everything, I was new to God, I was new to understanding what God loves, I was new to understanding what God was asking me to step into, I can remember sitting there in, in that room, in fact we listened to it in our small group as well afterwards, I can remember sitting there going, oh, okay, well that's what God's asked me to do, well I'll do it. And at the time, as I said, I was a student, I didn't have a huge amount of money, um, my parents paid for my accommodation, but that was it. In order to pay for anything else, I, had, I took out a student loan and I got a job. First thing I did at uni, get a job um, in a bar, in a student bar. And so I went home, I looked at my, what my yearly student loan was going to be. I looked at what my bar income was going to be. I took 10% of that and I divided it by 12. And then I set up my first standing order to the church. That wasn't much. Um, but it was my first step of putting God into my finances. And actually, looking back, I was pretty good budgeting, actually, as a student. It probably saved me my liver a good few pints of beer in the process. Um, and that's been my practice ever since. It's been our practice ever since. That's how we understand the scriptures. When our wages change, our giving changes accordingly. And this is what we believe it means to give the first fruits. Just a moment of honesty now. I think I've, I make it sound so simple, don't lie like that. I haven't always found giving easy. James does. He'd give literally everything <laughs> if he could <laughs> and not take a salary. Um, but over the years, particularly when I was self-employed, I mentioned that I was self-employed, um, I had to work out how much we needed to, to give every month because my income changed every month. And I can remember there were certainly a number of times when, or there are a number of times, when I work out and go, I don't want to give that much. I could think of so many more things that I could use that money for right now. And actually, if I save that money over a year, we could pay off one of our loans, or we could maybe even buy a, a new car. As it is, we still own the same silver Ford Focus, still going strong after 13 years. 13, 13, not 30 years, that would be literally miraculous. I do actually pray over my car. No, I do, I do, because I don't want to have to buy a new car. Um, it's still, we, you know, it's got a bit of gaffer tape holding the front bit together, if you look hard enough. And we have a, a, a lovely maroon wing mirror that keeps falling off. Um, and I proudly, dr proudly drive it, actually. I mean, where I work, I'm always ribbed for having the worst car in my GP practice. Worse, worse including the cleaner. <laughs> So I don't find it always that easy, and I just wanted to be honest with you about that. But when these thoughts pop into my mind, I just can't give in to them. They're not from God, and I know that. So in those moments, I just give obediently and get on with life. And that's um, how I do it. You know, it's much in the same way that we eat broccoli sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> James loves broccoli. It's probably one of the few vegetables that I don't like. But I eat it because it's good for me. Um, now, some of you will be thinking, hang on a minute. It does say in the Bible, doesn't it, that God loves a cheerful giver. Doesn't God want us to give cheerfully? Absolutely. Absolutely he does. He loves a cheerful giver. And that is the way he would love us all to give. But going back to this whole process of a discipleship journey in giving, sometimes we give out of joy and it is a real joy, and sometimes we give out of obedience. That's where I want to get to. That's my aspiration, to be outrageously generous and joyful about it all of the time. 
but it is a journey of discipleship. So just to make that clear, we are just stewards. Every time we give, we are coming against that deceptive voice that whispers, but you need more, but you can't possibly afford to give that much. What if you don't have enough? Test him. And I promise, as I said earlier, you will grow as a disciple. We often ask discipleship questions, don't we? Like, you know, um, how's your thought life? How are your relationships? What are you looking at online? Um, How are you sharing your faith? Well, I would say another important question would be, how's your generosity and giving? One thing I would like to make clear as well is that giving is not a guarantee of money. Prosperity gospel teachers over the years have, I believe, taught um, a warped understanding of a real truth on this. It's not sow this seed of money and you'll be guaranteed to buy a Maserati or a Ferrari from the showroom down the road. Maybe we should try that. (laughs) Considerably cooler than a Ford Focus. Um, But what the Bible does say is that we can trust the Lord to give us all we need. Very big difference. And just a moment on that word need. Remember that want and need are two very different words. So often we upgrade the word want to need, don't we? To justify our desires when that's really what they are. Wants, not needs. Have you noticed yourself doing this? I do it all the time. I really need a new coat. What I'm actually saying is, I really want a new coat. Specifically that really nice one that I saw in a shop last week in town. Now I have three perfectly good coats at home but I really like the style of this new one. So my deceptive little heart works out a very crafty way of justifying this purchase to myself and more importantly to my husband. And it says, if you just change that word want to need, it sounds so much more necessary. And bang, the coat is mine. Until James turns around and calls my bluff. He knows me too well. But it's true, isn't it? Be on your guard for this this little trick of the heart, because this little trick can all too often cause us to justify overspending, get into debt, and it also extinguishes any flicker of generosity that may be growing in our hearts. As we work out how much to give, if we have to wait until we've worked out our budget and what we can spare, most of us would not only never get round to doing it, we wouldn't find that we'd have much to give either. Luckily, in this country, it is against the law to pray pray? (laughs) to pray for tax. No, to pay the appropriate amount of tax. It's against the law. Otherwise, the exact same principle would be true of giving our taxes. Who in this room can honestly say that if it was an invitation to give the appropriate amount of tax, we would? No, it just wouldn't happen, would it? The human heart will always try to justify spending more on itself than on others. It says in Jeremiah 17 verse 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Such a truth. God's way, however, you know, comparing the whole tax situation, God's way is so much more delightful. He invites us, not forces us to give him the first part, the right off the top part, before anything else absorbs our money, his part, and then what we do with the rest is our choice. 
Number six. Gosh, that felt like a long point. I think it was. They're not as long. Oh, very short from now on. Number six. An opportunity to show gratitude to God is what giving gives us. In response to God's extravagant grace. God is extravagantly extravagant, isn't he? In the way that he loves us and cares for us. Ephesians 1, it says, the riches of God's love which he lavished upon us. John 3, God so loved the world, I've quoted this earlier, that he gave his son. John 1, 14 talks of God's grace in this way in the message version. Like father, like son, generous inside and out. And verse 16, it goes on. We all live off his generous bounty, gift after gift after gift. We've got the basics from Moses and then this exuberant giving and receiving. To simply say, cheers God, and keep it all for ourselves is to be unbelievably selfish in the light of all of his generosity. Liberally we have received. Liberally we are invited to give. Number seven. Giving gives us an opportunity to support what we believe in. Now, one of the best ways uh, that somebody can support a cause that they believe in is to give money to that cause. Environmental, humanitarian, arts, um, projects and charities understand the importance of financing. We are so used, particularly at this time of year, aren't we? Telly, leaflets through the door, people on the street saying, would you like to sign up for this? Would you like to give to WaterAid? Would you like to give to, you know, the Save the Polar Bear Foundation, blah, blah, blah? Loads of them. Um, because they understand the importance of financing. Giving money isn't the only way to support a work. Obviously, serving, praying, encouraging, they're all vital ways of supporting um, something that we believe in. But one of the ways to feel like you're helping with everything, uh, particularly as a church, all the compassion projects that we run, the kids' outreach, all of that is to give. You may not be the person making it happen. You may not even have the time to donate to make it happen. But know this, by giving and being generous towards enables you to be involved in everything. I love, you know, I can't help out with everything in the church, but by giving, I am helping out. I am. I'm involved in the kids. I'm involved in Alpha. I'm involved in the Compassion Projects because I'm being part of it. My money runs through it all, everything, and I love that. It is such a joy and another reason to feel great about giving, I think. Number eight, this is the last point. Giving gives us the opportunity to feel free from financial anxiety. What an interesting phrase, you may be thinking. I'm already feeling anxious about my finances. How can you possibly tell me that by giving, it will make me feel less anxious? Won't it be the other way around? If I give that much, I don't know how I'll cope. What if the car breaks down? What if the washing machine packs up? What happens in a couple of years when my child goes to university? Well, I would say it is normal but not healthy to feel anxious about your finances. But as long as you are responding as much as you can to what God is asking you to do, your choice to give is actually a choice that should reduce your anxiety about finances. Because giving by faith prompts God's response in ensuring that we are looked after. Again and again over the years for James and I, this has been our experience, we have, we have been aware of God looking after us. There's been a number of years over the last, gosh, 20 years. Makes me feel really old. 
um, where God has, has just supported us. And particularly, there's been a few years that have been really, really tight, particularly when we first came down to Cardiff. Um, and James had a part-time teaching assistant job, and I was on maternity leave with no maternity pay whatsoever. Um, God has always provided. During those times where lo- things have been tighter, it would have been so much easier for us to go, do you know what, we can't afford it this month, Lord. We can't afford it during this season, Lord, and to stop. But that is not what God asks us to do, is it? He causes us and asks us to trust in God for our finances. And every single time, he has provided. Whether it's fortuitous jobs, whether it's working out ways of us reducing our expenditure, enabling us to still give, whether it's, you know, even little things like cinema tickets shoved through our letterbox, or, oh, I'll, I'll pay for this for you. Oh, I'd love, to, I'd love to pay for you guys to go out for dinner and, you know, for a birthday or something. And he has never, ever let us down. We have always trusted with, with this with him, and he has he's always been there. Many people are anxious about their finances and about their financial future because they've never learnt the true Christian life. People who will hold on tightly to their money will be bound up with financial concerns. That's what the Bible says. But people who are open-handed before the Lord have nothing to worry about. God says, let it be my concern. Deuteronomy again. Yes, I said it right this time. Deuteronomy 15, there's a passage about sharing our wealth with the poor. And it says this, verse 7, do not be tight-fisted, but rather be open-handed. So, just in summary, giving generously back to God a proportion of what he has given us gives us the opportunity to, number one, express God's nature and in doing so, bless others. Number two, to draw closer to God. Number three, to bless and please God. Number four, to gain freedom from materialism, to strengthen our faith, to show gratitude to God, to support what we believe in, and to be free from financial anxiety. As James mentioned in his talk last week, in order to achieve all that God is inviting us as a community into over this next year, uh, investing in our compassion ministries, investing in the next generation, and in multi-site, we are going to need to see an increase in our regular given. Uh, We're praying We have big faith for this, 70 new givers in our community and an uplift of £5,000 a month. We really want to invite any of you who have not yet committed to giving financially to the church to join with us in this faith adventure. Would you seek God for your part? If you started giving but are not quite giving what the Bible talks about being a tithe, can I suggest you maybe pray about that and praying about growing in your regular giving? And lastly, one of the reasons that many of us don't start giving or get round to giving is really just that we don't get round to it. It's as simple as that. You know, I mentioned my journey of giving. I was taught on it, and I responded pretty quickly. Um, it took James another year and a half after I started giving, and he had been a Christian the whole of his life. <laughs> and I regularly remind him of that. As is my job as his wife. Um, and lastly, let's just acknowledge... Giving and money is is an awkward subject, isn't it, for many of us, no matter how long we've been Christians. I regularly need to remind myself of why I choose to give. But my encouragement to all of us this morning is to allow ourselves to step into the freedom, and I do mean that, the freedom and the joy of generosity, and to allow ourselves to excel in this grace of giving together 
And who knows what God will do with our loaves and fishes. Should we stand?